This is David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors, and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a boutique brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors. And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a boutique law firm focusing on residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham. Gotta put my smiling face on. <laughs> Good morning. We are podcast number 10, and welcome to the David and David on Real Estate. Good morning, everybody. Absolutely. It's a great morning, and let's jump right into it, David. I know you were sharing with me just before uh, we jumped on the call about the market, and you're reading uh, a really good article. Yeah, uh, just an article, you're not. Not relevant just to our local market, but just general across Canada. Uh, like there's there's been a, a real cooling trend or a slowdown in the market. Um, they're saying you know eighty percent of the markets across Canada have really cooled off in the last two months. Um, so and not not to become bad markets or anything like that. Still very good markets in any year. Right. Still active markets. But off that peak that it was on, off that frenzy that it was on, that we've talked about in previous podcasts with the multi-offer bidding and and, and the, the continued pushing up of prices. So the, it hasn't been felt so much on the price side yet because the prices are still high, which is a bit of a carryover because prices get pushed up from biddings and all of a sudden everybody thinks that that's what their house is worth in the open market, which you know may or may not be true. But uh, so we'll see what people get. But there's definitely been a, a bit of a, a slowdown to the market over the last two months. Yeah, no, I, I, you're, I absolutely. You're hearing that with your agents, I'm sure too. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it since I think the first podcast that we recorded, right? I, you know, I've been saying that we're we're dropping off from the high, right? But it's it's all still very relative to what we're really comparing to. So when we're comparing to the absolute peak that we were at in uh, in the middle of March of 2021 we are coming off that peak. But if we compare to, you know, um, a seller's market, we're still in a very strong seller's market when you look at the absorption rates, um, when you look at, you know, the list uh, to, to sell ratio, uh, the market is still very, very strong, but it is definitely coming off the high that was in the middle of March of 2021. And as uh, you mentioned before uh, we jumped on the call that prices are still not really effective, affected too much, especially when you look at the median and the average price, it's still holding very much um, at record high levels. Right, and, and the other point that you and I already discussed in, in, before, and the article mentioned it too, is you can't look at May 2020 as a comparison to May 2021. It was an aberration right in the middle of COVID. People weren't sure, you know, which end was up and where were things were going. So, uh, so anybody analyzing these things, you know, goes back to prior years and see what trends are, because you know normally, uh, you know, April, May, June, everything is ramping up. Uh, you know, June's usually a really active uh, month. And, uh, you know, and generally a lot of people would take time off 
in the summer months and we would see a natural cool down. Uh, this year, you know, who knows uh, how that, that's going to be. Are people, you know, taking vacations or, you know, people are just happy to get out of their house to go to a, an outdoor patio somewhere because that's a brand new thing to do this week. So are, are people really going to be taking holidays like they would? Are the agents going to be taking holidays? Are people putting their house up and take holidays? I think a lot of that are sort of unknowns this year. So the market will continue to be strong through the summer. I think the trends are definitely changing. You know, historically, the trend, the trend was always that we saw a big slowdown in the summertime, just people going up to the cottage, people enjoying the nice weather, people really getting outside in a big way. We tend to have a really long winter in Canada. So um, I, I think people really get weather happy, which is, which is phenomenal. I think the trend we're going to see this year is cottage properties are going to continue going up in value. It, it's absolutely amazing how many customers um, and even uh, business partners that I work with personally um, have called my office in the last few weeks and they're really jumping on the cottage bandwagon in a huge way. And I think that trend is going to continue moving up. Um, you know, people have been spending a lot of time in their homes more than ever. They're not traveling and they really want to get out there in a big way. And, and they love the Canadian outdoors. You know, there's, it's great. Like Muskoka is beautiful. The Kawartha Lakes is beautiful. Peterborough is gorgeous. There's so much to do. There's so much to see. And then you get the family bonding time, which is, you know, really, really important as well. So I think we're going to continue to see the cottage trend really go up in a, in a, in a big way um, throughout the summer months. Yeah, no, I agree too. Last summer, uh, was quite active with the with cottage properties and it carried right through the fall and the winter. Um, our firm has, has a, a fairly big presence now in Muskoka. Uh, we're doing a lot of cottage properties. We've got some some signage up there. We've got more coming and uh, I'm up there regularly and so is uh, my partner Jonathan. So we, we know the area well and we're connected with a lot of it and, and we do a lot of cottage properties. Uh, and more and more so uh, a lot of clients interested in it and and you know the prices are <laughs> pretty pretty high it's amazing how how those prices have gone over the last year because there's been such a demand for them but uh, i think that's going to continue people are way more focused on lifestyle and having outdoor space and also they've discovered you know just through working remotely that they can work remotely up at the cottage the same way they can work remotely from their homes. So it doesn't really matter where they are, they can still be functioning. So they can use those cottage properties a little more than they otherwise would. It's not strictly go up there on the weekend. You might be able to get up there for you know in the middle of the week too and 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 work from there too. So it's it's a much more attractive option than it than it was a couple of years ago. Absolutely. And there's certain cottage uh... Uh, properties or, or neighborhoods that are less than two hours away from the city. You know, there's a lot of choice and variety. Certain Kawartha lakes are, are uh, a lot closer than Muskoka. So, um, you know, don't think that you have to drive five, six hours to, to find the right cottage property because um, if you have the right agent and the right guidance, you, you know, you, there are cottage properties that are, are a, a lot closer to GTA than heading up to 400 and there's a lot of different uh, variety. There's some great places on uh, Lake Erie. There's some great places um, just north of Oshawa. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of choice and variety, and I think that's a big trend that's going to continue uh, moving forward. But, you know, getting back to the market, David, you're absolutely right. It's a big pet peeve of mine when people compare May of 2021 to May of 2020, because, um, you know, back in May of 2020, we were right in the middle of COVID. Things shut down. People were really afraid. They didn't really know what to expect. So, uh, you know, really hard to compare the two Mays. And when you do, um, you know, you get some numbers that are completely inaccurate, in, in, in my opinion, um, judging, you know, really what's happening with the market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this year, May was, was, was quite a busy month uh, for real estate. Uh, you know, we, in our firm, we had a, a very busy May and uh, an extremely busy June that we're in the middle of right now. I don't think we've ever uh, close more transactions in a month than we will this month of June. Amazing. But, but I definitely feel a, a softening in, in our volumes a little bit for July and August. Uh, I think mean, they'll still be very busy, uh, no question about it. And we'll probably still be above last year's numbers. But we're always, we, we've talked about this in our podcast before, we lag behind you. Uh, you know, the real estate agents are busy and April and May, and that translates into closings for us for June and July. So we're always lagging a little behind you because of the closing date. So um, cycle of the transaction. Yeah, it's so a busy June for us right? means that you were busy in April and, and May and, and vice versa. So um, so we always follow the, the trends that way. But definitely a bit of a bit of a slowdown. But but slowing down only to to become a really really good active market. Like you know just. You know, at some point it's going to come off a peak. So we're just feeling that a little bit, but mm -hmm. a lot of people out there interested in still buying properties and, and looking to, to change their surroundings. So, yeah. uh, so we're happy with that. It's, you know, we, at our firm, you know, we're, it's not about purchase prices ever. We never you know, look at that. You know, we see that because we're seeing that, oh, you bought this property three years ago for a million and now you're selling it for a million six, like, you know, wow, good for you. Right. To us, it's still one transaction. So we're focused on it just being a transaction, but we see the market trends as well. You guys in your side of our industry are focused more on price. Right? We are because, I mean, you know, we have a direct influence over the price, whereas your office receives the completed transaction and the price is set, right? So yeah. two very different sides of the spectrums and, um, you know, talking about the sales cycle, yesterday I, um, I had a really in-depth conversation with a planner, like a, um, from, from uh, like a professional planner. And, yeah. you know, we got into conversating about uh, building permits and about subdivisions and about, you know, who's buying land and commercial development. And it was a completely uh, different conversation, but very interesting from, you know, that, that transaction cycle. Right. And it made me realize that, you know, he is even, uh, you know, on a completely different side of spectrum than we are as a brokerage um, and, you know, where you are as uh, the law office and, and you know, your uh, 
um, completing these transactions. So it was actually really interesting. We had a great conversation and uh, that would be a perfect guest to bring in one day on the podcast just to share his viewpoints as to, you know, what's happening with building permits, who's buying land, who's applying for rezoning, uh, you know, what that whole process looks like. But uh, it was a great conversation. We, we probably talked for about an hour or so. Uh, it, was, it was great to hear his uh, point of view and, you know, who are the institutional buyers, who's not buying, who is buying, where are they buying, you know, what the trends are from that perspective. Because I mean, he's two years ahead of even where we are at, at the brokerage, right? So right. It, was, uh, it was a great conversation. Yeah, really interesting. We should definitely get him on. That'll make an interesting conversation. Like, you know, like he's, he's like looking into the future compared to where we are, you know, and you are, you know, and I'm even lagged behind you. So it's uh, interesting, you know, all, all in, we're all in the real estate business, but at different stages of it. Yeah, and I found it fascinating. I had yeah. One of the most amazing conversations I had in a really long time, because, you know, I get excited about real estate. I get excited yeah. about, you know, really knowing what's going on and staying ahead of all the trends and trying to be a leader in the industry. So you know, when, when, when I get a chance to look into the future, as I thought I did with that conversation, uh, it was, uh, it was quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. got to get him on. And, and just like you're mentioning from a business point of view, for you to examine your brokerage, for me to examine our firm's needs over the next year or two, it's really hard to crystal ball these things. Yeah. So getting some insight from somebody that sees the real estate industry at the early stages that, you know, that's a, a year or two, ahead of us it's it's a look into the future so I, i'd be excited to have him on as well now i know we've got some things on our agenda today i, I did want to tell a a bit of a story while we're talking about bidding wars and, and and things that can happen out of bidding that we didn't have time to get into last week so i just want to just just relay this uh, fact scenario that happened so this was a you know a classic multi-offer bidding situation uh, there was multi-party, I don't remember the exact number, but it was eight or 10 off or something like that coming in. And, uh, and this one real estate agent uh, was, you know, had put an offer in and they were, you know, they were told first round, they were, you know, still in it. Uh, you know, the top uh, three or four, there's others were, were dropping out and they're sitting in the car with the, with the actual buyer and the listing agent calls them and says on, on speakerphone, so the buyer actually hears the conversation as well and says, you know, like you're, you're really close, like you're second, but if you can come up by like $100,000, you can get the property. So the, the buyer's on the phone too, and the buyer sort of says, you know, I'm prepared to do that as long as you can prove to me that that's real, that there's another offer that's actually, you know, like close to the 100000 that I have to beat. Like, would you show me that offer? If we come in and bring in that, that bid, that signed agreement, after signing, will you show me that other offer? And the listing agent says, yes. Yes, I, I'll show that to you. Right. So, so they, anyways, they get off the phone with them and the, the agent that's sitting in the car says to his client, like, the listing agent really isn't allowed to do that. I'm not sure if they're going to do that. And don't base your decision based on the fact that 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 offer might exist or might not exist. Cause I'm not sure if he's going to really show it to you. He said he was going to show it. I don't know if he's going to show it. And he really shouldn't be showing it. it he's not allowed to show it. It's a violation of, of RICO laws and et cetera. 
So base your decision. If you, if you think the property is worth that $100,000 and you want to go in with an offer, fine. Okay, if you, if you don't think it's worth it, it doesn't matter whether they show it or not, but base your decision on that. So the buyer decides to go ahead with it. They, they increase their offer. They go and submit it. They sign it. It's a firm deal. And now they, the buyer asks the listing agent, can I see that other offer? And the listing agent doesn't want to show it to him. So, sir, I, you know, I, I, so I said that, but I really can't show you. But trust me, it was there, and I can't show it to you and everything. So I, before I tell you how the story finishes, you want to comment on that? I can see you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, first of all, Dave, I mean, certain rules exist to make sure that the process is fair and equitable for all parties, right? And, and the biggest thing is whatever is disclosed to one buyer has to be disclosed to every single buyer so that every single buyer has exactly the same um, chance at, at obtaining the property, right? But the biggest rule here is that you can't disclose what the other parties are offering or what the mo motivation of your client is uh, at the same time, it has to be a fair and transparent process to all, right? right? So, I mean, this listing agent, I mean, even though he might think he's acting in the best interest of his seller by saying to this other person what the seller is willing to accept, but by doing that, he broke at least, you know, half a dozen rules um, that uh, RICO, our governing body, the Real Estate Council of Ontario has, uh, that govern these situations, right? And I'm sure that the buyer, after um, you know, wanting to see what this other offer is, and the listing agent saying, "Well, you know what? I really shouldn't have said that, and can't really show you the offer," um, was also feeling a certain type of way about the whole situation as well. So I, I could just see this whole uh, situation escalating uh, quite uh, drastically. Yeah. So what can the listing agent in that situation actually say to the competing bidders? Like, can, can he come back and say you're in second place? Is that your best offer? Is that, is that fair game? All he can give him, all he can do is give him an opportunity to improve without disclosing anything about the other offers or the current offer that's, that's in front of him. So you know, at the end of the day, everybody has to be given the same, um, not information, but the same opportunity, right? right? Without disclosing any information with the other offers. Yeah. So um, the place where you are in the bidding process cannot be disclosed. You cannot tell the person you're second. You cannot tell, tell the person you're, you're close. What you can do is if there's 10 offers, and three are really close and ahead of the other 10, the seller could say, okay, you know what, thank you very much. The other seven people that have brought in the offers and choose to work with the three highest offers and say, hey guys, you guys are ahead of everybody else. I've chosen to work with these three. However, please go ahead, improve your offer. And the next round around, whoever's the highest, we're gonna go ahead and really work with that one offer. Right. So that's the correct way of handling a multiple offer situation. And when you really think about it and you break it down and you break down the psychology, that's really acting in the best interest of your seller. Right. Giving a number to a buyer that they have to meet, even though it might seem uh, like a good option at the time, you might get two people who go over that number. Right. If you fail to give that number in the first place. 
So are you really acting in the best interest of your seller, even though you're attaining that number that the seller wants, right? Because if you hadn't disclosed to those three uh, offers that, hey, the seller's willing to accept this, then maybe they in their head would have said, okay, you know what? $200,000 is where we really need to go to really feel comfortable that we're beating everybody else. Right. Right. And, right. and that's why those rules exist is because if you let the market work itself, if you let the, mechan the mechanism of buyers and sellers really go through that fine tuning process themselves, not knowing where the other offers are, that's when you're going to get the full effect of the market for the seller. As soon as you put a price out there, right, that's the ceiling. Right? Right. It creates a ceiling. Right. And that ceiling might not be in the best interest of the seller. Right. It could have exceeded that. Exactly correct. Right. So it's an interesting story because you're, you're looking at it from different points of view. It's obvious the listing agent did some things that he shouldn't have done. Uh, first of all, you know, violating RICO regulations, number one, but also like you're pointing out, not act necessarily acting in the best interest of the seller, right? Now, in this case, the other side of it is, you know, I love to look at it from what the buyer's agent did. And, and I like what the buyer's agent did because the advice that they gave, like, you know, pointing out the listing agent isn't right, is likely to not come through with their undertaking to show that other offer improve it because they really can't and making it clear to the client, look, if you're bidding on this bid on it, because you think the value is there, you're comfortable with it and you'll be okay paying that price. Don't do it because you're relying on what the listing agent is telling you because it's obviously like, you know, he's not acting properly. Right. So I think that was the right guidance by the buyer's agent. Right. So, so that was good. And I mean, listen, if you're the buyer's agent in these situations, you're going to do whatever it takes to put the ball back into your buyer's court, obviously without breaking the rules. But if you ask the question and it gets answered, then, you know, the onus is on the listing agent to make sure that he follows the correct rules. But I mean, as a buyer's agent, I'm going to ask every question I can to get as much information to put my client ahead of the game. Right? right. So really it's on the listing agent to make sure that the process is handled fairly, ethically, correctly, and that, you know, no uh, rules are, are, are broken, right? That all the rules are adhered. And sometimes it's difficult. You know, sometimes the clients don't understand the rules. The sellers don't understand the rules and, and give instructions to the listing agents that, uh, you know, are contrary to what can and cannot be done. So it's really important to, you know, make sure you lean on the brokerage, make sure you give, you know, myself or, or Sabia, the broker of record, a call and just understand what you can and cannot disclose in these situations to make sure that you're fully protected and, and you, you know, you do the right things and you handle the situation correctly. Yeah. And we should make it clear in this story, this, this, it wasn't your agent. This was not your brokerage. It was some, some other brokerage, another listing agent, not your buyer's agent either in, in this scenario. My firm wasn't involved actually in this, you know, I got consulted on this, but we weren't actually involved in the, in the transaction, but I can tell you where it is because it hasn't fully been resolved yet. It's in sure. court. But what happened was the buyer did not want to go ahead and close the deal because the buyer was ultimately 
not making their decision based on what the property was worth, but was relying on the fact that the agent was telling them a bunch of bullshit and, and wasn't comfortable and think they overpaid by a hundred thousand. So decided not to close the transaction. So the right now there is litigation involved, but it's the buyer that's being sued by the seller. I see. Okay. The buyers hasn't been able to get their deposit money back. Buyer doesn't have the house. The buyer doesn't have the deposit money, and the buyer is being sued because there was a, a you know the property was ultimately resold at a lesser price, and they're going after them to keep the deposit. Seller wants to keep the deposit. Seller wants to sue the buyer for damages, and there's quite a good likelihood that the seller is going to succeed in this scenario because the buyer had a signed contract. And even if the buyer did have reliance on what the listing agent said, that's not part of the agreement. There's nothing in writing. It wasn't a condition of the agreement. Okay. And the agreements are clear. You can't rely on verbal representations and things like that. You know, does the, could the buyer, if the buyer loses this lawsuit, could they make a claim against the listing agent for fraud or for, you know, breaching RICO regulations? You know, maybe, maybe they can cover some damages, but that's what a judge might ultimately decide here. No, buyer, you still signed a contract. You had a duty to close. If you think you were wronged by the seller, by the seller's agent, you could always, you know, close your transaction, sue them for damages. If you think you overpaid because of their misrepresentation, but you still have a duty to close and buyer chose not to. So the seller's suing the buyer and the buyer's on, on the defensive. The buyer doesn't have the deposit, buyer doesn't have the property. Yeah. David, I mean, I love that you shared this story because I think there's so many, you know, positive uh, learning lessons from this. And um, let me just really make sure that this hits home for everybody listening. When the market starts dropping, right, you are under scrutiny as a real estate professional for everything you did in that transaction. You have to do everything by the book all the time because you just never know when the market goes like this or when the market goes like this right right and when it does you know those transactions are pending meaning that there is a firm and binding agreement but the transaction hasn't closed there's going to be one side of the story that feels wronged in one way or another and the actions of both real estate uh, professionals are really going to come under scrutiny Right? And this is no exception. If the market was going the other way and the market was going up, trust me, the buyer would have zero issues with the listing agent telling him that, you know, um, th there's another offer and he needs to go up by a hundred thousand. He'd be happy as a kite, you know, but exactly. the, the market is, is trending downwards. You know, he's using any technicality he can to renege on the transaction, not close and, uh, and, and essentially not overpaying the correct market for that property, right? So really important if you're a real estate professional, doesn't matter what environment you're in, make sure you follow all the rules because they will save you and your clients from a lot of headaches, right? right. And, and that's the most important thing I can really impress on everybody is the rules are there to protect everybody all parties in a transaction so really important you might think that you're acting in the best interest of the seller by making certain statements or making certain disclosures or making certain pushes but you are not because ultimately 
you know, look at the situation that the sellers in, involved now. The transaction hasn't closed. They had to resell the house at a lower price. They had to hire a litigation lawyer. They had to uh, sue the buyer. You know, I'm sure the listing agent feels bad. I'm sure the buyer agent feels bad. I'm sure the, the, the buyer feels a certain way. And it's all because, you know, the rules were not followed. Right. And as a a professional in the industry, you got to be very careful to protect your own back too, in, in how you handle it. And even though um, it's clear in an agreement of purchase and sale that everything has to be in writing and you're not allowed to rely on verbal representations, et cetera, et cetera. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts. It brings us back to that notion of acting in good faith or acting in bad faith. So there's, you know, so what's the evidence of those things happening. And it's, it's, it's the verbal conversations, it's the text messages, it's the emails, it's things like that. So you've really got to be careful with all of that because although they, they may not form part of the written contract, they still are, uh, are valuable from an evidentiary point of view if these things do go to court as to what the conversations were and where's the evidence that those were the conversations did you follow up with an email? Was there a text message exchange? So as a real estate agent, you got to keep these text messages around. They're very valuable later. You know, even in this situation with the buyer's agent in the car, you know, from the buyer's agent it appears to have said all the right things to the client. Like don't rely on the listing agent to actually produce that other offer. They can't do that. Right. Um, but did, did they, did that buyer's agent, confirm that in writing to the buyer or send a text to the buyer or an email to the buyer? Was it just a verbal conversation? Because it's really easy for a buyer to say, oh, I don't remember you ever saying anything like that to me. I didn't get proper advice from the buyer's aid. You shouldn't have let me go in with that offer. You didn't give me proper guidance and advice. And, and the buyer's said, no, no, I, don't remember that conversation we had? And I said, that was wrong. And he's probably not going to produce that offer. And buyers somehow will conveniently forget <laughs> that that conversation may have taken place. Yep. So you got to be careful as an agent too, to, you know, to make notes or to record things, confirm things in a text message an email. And, and that stuff is all relevant. It doesn't necessarily form part of the agreement purchase and sale, but if things really go off the rails and it goes to court, all of those type of things become really relevant. It, it should be a standard practice for all realtors to make notes in a file, you know, simple things anything out of out of character uh conversations that uh you have you know even explaining uh an agreement of purchase and sale in plain language if that was done and you actually sat down and did it with your client make a note of it make the time and date right and and this is a habit that uh courts are going to look at if 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 you get into trouble and you get called in front of uh, a judge and you can prove and document, you know, in, in the last 10 files that you did that, you know, this is a standard practice that you do with all your clients. Um, that's going to go in your favor in, 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 the, in the situation. So the more documentation you can have per file, the better. Um, it's something that we really encourage all our realtors at Southern Summit to do. It's a good practice. 
Um, we actually created buyer and seller packages for, for our agents that include easy to read plain language, APSs and, and buyer agency agreements. And I encourage all my agents to actually review an APS with their clients ahead of time. So that when the time comes to present an offer, uh, the seller is, is, is aware, is familiar, understands the language and knows what that process looks like ahead of time, right? A lot of the times when you find the perfect house and you're in a multiple offer situation or you're excited and you know, you're going through the emotional process of buying the property, a lot harder to really pay attention and understand the fine print when you're going through those uh, through that emotional process, it's a lot easier to do it up ahead of time uh, and really learn and understand uh, before you get out there to the market and start looking at properties. So it's something we really encourage all our realtors uh, to go through their clients up ahead of time and go through that plain language APS, that plain language buyer representation agreement, just so um, you get that over and done with um, and, get, and get that out of the way before you go out and look at houses. Yeah, and, and that's great advice and, and the right advice in, in my humble opinion too. Like it's, they have to understand, you know, like you and I are in the business, we're seeing agreements all the time, we're dealing with it all the time. And I always remind my staff about that, you know, but when you're, you're a buyer or a seller, like it's, it's, it's only so many transactions in a lifetime that they're dealing with. Yeah. And there can be so much time between these transactions that the process is completely different. Yeah. Like, it's amazing how the process, you know, we think they're all the same, but you look at how we did deals five years ago and how we're doing them today. It's different on so many levels. There's been, there's always an evolution in these processes. And now you've got people coming off, you know, these bidding situations. So not only they understand the agreement of purchase and sale and what they're signing and the listing agreement and having all that explained to them, but they have to understand the process of going through these bids. And that's one of the reasons why there's been this drop off in markets across Canada, it's just buyer fatigue because people are just experiencing, you know, the losing on these bidding wars and, you know, and a good agent before they, they go to the first one is going to be going through that process with them saying, Hey, look, we're going to be, it's going to be a multi-offer situation. And if you're looking at these type of properties, everyone we're going to go to right now might be a multi-offer situation. You might lose four or five times before you succeed. So you got to be prepared to do that. Here's the process we have. We might put in the best offer, you know, really analyze the price, push it right up to the limit. And we still might lose, right? Because someone might outbid us. That's just the market. So you have to go through that process of explaining the process itself to a buyer and manage their expectations, right? hundred percent. You know, you're, you're dealing with emotions. You're dealing with people's biggest investment and, uh, you know, the more you can prepare and the more you can work with them beforehand and educate them, uh, the better the outcome will be, right? And whenever I personally work with, with any buyer or seller, my goal has always been to educate them to the point where they're comfortable and confident in making their own decision, right? I never want to make the decision for them. I just want to make sure I, I give them all the right information and tools so they can make the best decisions for them and feel comfortable and confident doing that, right? And I see it, you know, the first time I go out with them, um, you know, they're hesitating. It's, it's you know, there, there's, there's a learning process, right? And the worst thing that can possibly happen is the first time you go out, you find that perfect property, right? Because it's really hard to explain to your clients and to push them and say, 
guys, we can go out a hundred more times, right? Right. But you're not going to find this property, but you're building rapport, you're building trust, you're educating them. And you just haven't done enough of that yet to make them understand that that is the right property. And you push too hard at the beginning, you know, you lose that vehicle of trust and, and it's, it's hard to have that working relationship. So it is a process, right? And, and that's what I want to impress upon, um, you know, everybody listening to this podcast that it is a process and working with the right realtor, you know, you, that process is going to work really well and work smoothly, but there is a huge education component to it for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. And I know there's, some agents uh, you know, would prefer to not find the ideal property for the first one in, in a bidding situation. Better they go through a process on a property that they sort of like, but maybe not don't love, sort of knowing that they might lose on it because they're not gonna extend themselves on it, but at least they get the process, they go through a round of it under their belt and see what happens. Yeah. And then when they don't get that one, they well, you know, it's not that big deal. Now you see what happened. I've, I've been telling you this is what's going to happen, but sometimes you have to see it for yourself and live through it. And now we go to, we're going to find a property that's even better for you, but you, but now you understand what we're going to have to go through in order to get it. And it's hard to tell people that you're going to have to overpay for a property when it's, you know, when it's, it's their home and, it, and especially a first time buyer. How do you say, yeah, your property's worth a million, but you're gonna to have to pay a million one to buy it, yeah. you know? And, and you know, the, the function is always, if you like a property, price is gonna be an issue. If you absolutely love a property, price is less important, right? And that's why it's so important for agents to stage properties and to do a lot of prep work before listing. They'll make sure the right colors, you know, if there's that one, you know, orange accent wall in the kitchen, you know, painted a neutral color, bring in the right accessories, stage the home, make sure there's a, you know, high quality virtual tour, make sure pictures are, uh, you know, full HDR pictures and they have the right uh, angles and the right viewpoints and make sure that you know you pick a bright sunny day to do all the pictures and put in that hard work and all that prep work because the more people you can get emotionally attached to that property the more it's going to be reflected on price if people just like the property then price is going to be a huge issue right and and you know that's that that's really the difference between you know uh, the best agents and hiring just uh, a mediocre agent out there is the best agents know that they need to play on people's emotions to really get them attached to the property. And then price is, is less of a factor. You know, they want the property. They, they're so engaged. They're so emotional. We got to have it. We got to have it. Right. But uh, yeah, I like this house. It's okay. Well, then let's talk about price. You know, price is the only thing we're talking about then. Right. So, um, and, and that's not the situation you want to get into. Yeah, and, and you're, you're making a great point. There's a big difference between an agent and a better agent. And you see that all the time. And that's oh. why you're training your agents. You're providing support for the agency. You're trying to raise the bar for all your agents. That's why we do you know, the, the webinars and, and, and training sessions that I'm involved in. We're doing one in, in an hour or so from now as well uh, for your brokerage. We're doing all the time because those are things important. You got to elevate everybody's game. And, and I did a... 
there's a whole other level too. And, and you sort of reminded me of that. I did a blog on it not too long ago. Uh, the advantages of having a real estate agent trying to do a private sale and and someone selling privately can't do all that list that you just did off the top of your head in, in two seconds about the, you know the staging and the painting and, and all those advantages of getting the advice so like in, in our office like we're you know we do the odd private uh, you know uh, transaction for people and help them drop an agreement purchase and sell but i but i really don't want to do it. and i discourage people from it. the only ones that we really try to do is if it's between related parties or something like that and they still need an agreement of purchase and sale to to you know to show a lender that it's a real transaction but other than that like i'm encouraging everybody you know you got to get an agent you're way better off with yeah. an agent than trying to, to save the commission yeah. Uh, never makes sense. So that could be a good topic for a podcast, the advantages of having an agent versus trying to sell privately. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I think that's going to be a great topic. Um, all, all I have to say on that uh, topic is that I've tried to sell um, my own properties in the past. And um, ultimately, you know, I had to enlist one of my colleagues here at the brokerage to, to help me with that process. Um, just because... It, you know, it, it's so difficult to remove yourself, you know, as an objective party when it's your own property, right? And it's really hard to mediate and, and keep those emotions in check. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Even private transactions, really important to enlist the help of um, a great real estate professional. And the other thing that I have to impress upon people is it's really important to give your property the, you know, the proper exposure on the market as well, because you might think you're getting a good price, um, but uh, you know the market might 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 be much higher, right? And until you go through that process, you will never know if if you know you undersold your property or not. Right. Right. It's uh, no different in, in my business. Uh, you know, they say a, a lawyer that acts for himself has a fool for a client. <laughs> really? I didn't hear that before, but that's a good one. Yeah, because the same thing you can't you have to step back. You, you don't see it when you're in the middle of your own transaction. You get emotional about your own properties or your own transaction, whatever it is. And you and you just as much as you, you think you're professional about it, you just can't step back. From that process and something you just need another another viewpoint on it and and it's just it's really important you know and we've done that even in, internally like uh you know in, in our business when you know we had we needed a partnership agreement you know in our in our firm between between three partners uh with you know when jerry was a partner and jonathan came in and, and then me we had we had three partners we did a partnership agreement so all three of us are capable of drafting a partnership because we do it for other people all the time. But we decided it's really in our collective interest to bring in another lawyer to do the drafting and get our comments and do it through him because we all come from you know, a slightly different viewpoint. Wow, and, interesting. And um, so you draft based on that viewpoint too. And you don't always see it from someone else's point of view. And we said, you know, we're better served by paying someone else to do what we all can do professionally for other people, right? You guys have done my partnership agreement, right? Right. So I could I could do that, but it but it it didn't make sense for us to to take carriage of and draft on our own because we're not all coming from the same point of view. Sometimes maybe he'll see something that we don't. And there were points along the way where it was 
you know, I, I think it was very good. I think it pushed the process and we got it done way faster. And I think it was more professional doing it that way and, and having somebody independent look at it. So it's same thing in, in real estate. It's, you know, you can't, it's hard to be your, you know, be the agent on your own property yeah. as much as you know, and you understand the market, everything. somebody else, you're, you're still emotionally attached. Somebody else can come along and say, yeah, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but this is how I see it. This is how a third party would see it. So it's always good to have that perspective. I can't wait to peel back the layers on that one because that's a great topic. And I think we can go really in depth and talk about a lot of different aspects there. And I think it's going to be really important for um, the public to, to hear that point of view and to hear some of the, uh, even some of the legalities that uh, um, exist when you're representing yourself and some of the uh, um trouble you can get into as well from a legal point of view. So I, I think that's a great topic, David. I can't wait to peel back the layers and get more into it. Yeah. Well, we always come up with new topics as we're going along. I don't even think we've gotten into what, what, what our intended agenda was for today yet. <laughs> no, we haven't. But let's, we're 45 minutes in. We might as well jump into it. <laughs> All right. So where do you want to start? Well, David, I mean, again, we keep talking about the market sort of um, trending off the high and and as it does that we you know we're seeing more and more buyers asking for extensions and needing a little bit more time to close so um, we had a situation uh, a couple of days ago where actually one of my realtors sold his own personal property and the buyer agent called him to tell him that the buyer uh, needs a one month extension and he came into my office he said David listen I really don't want to grant this extension you know, what are my options? And you said what? Or you want me to tell you what your options should have been? <laughs> well, you know, I went over all the options with him. I, I told him that, uh, you know, it's definitely in his best interest to take a further deposit, to get a further commitment from the buyer, just to make sure that, um, you know, if he does give him a month extension, um, that, uh when that new closing date will come that he will be able to perform and close and that, you know, parties are not wasting their time. But I also told him, you know, it's really important to ask um, some, some tough questions, right? Uh, really get a good understanding of really what's happening financially with the buyer. Where um, are the funds coming from? You know, was there any change in employment? We're just going through a tax season right now, right? So, you know, things, you know, tough, tough questions like, hey, have taxes been filed? Are there arrears owing, right, by the buyer? Um, these are good questions to ask. You might not get all the answers when you ask these questions, but, you know, the more information that you can come up with, uh, the more empowered you're, you're going to be to make the right decision, right? But asking for a further deposit, um, of course, the buyer would be liable to pay per diem um, for any expenses on, on, on the property that they bought. So things like, um, um, uh, sorry, uh, mortgage uh, interest, right? Things uh, like property taxes, utility costs to carry that property, uh, reasonable uh, um, accommodation expenses. In this case, he uh, leased another property. So, you know, paying for um, accommodations as well is not unheard of. 
Um, but going through this whole process and really understanding, you know, if the buyer is going to have the ability to close in, in the next uh, 30 days is, is really important to uh, the whole question whether to grant the extension or not. Right. So I think your, your approach is 100% the right way to do it. When I get involved on, on extensions, the first thing that, I, that what I'm always trying to figure out, first of all, is, is it bona fide? And, and what are the reasons for it? And are we just going to take their word for it? Or are we going to ask for some evidence to show, you know, to establish that it's, uh, uh, that it's bona fide is that they need the extension, number one. And then the other issue is how much of an extension is really needed, okay? Because sometimes it makes sense to extend for a shorter period of time because you want to still put the pressure on them. Like in your scenario, like, you know, I'm assuming it wasn't closing because they didn't have their financing together, right? So we get that all the time. We don't have our financing. We, we thought we had, we had pre-approval. We didn't get it. They're, you know, we've got to go find another lender. It might be that situation, or it just might be a delay. The lender uh, just needs more time, needs another week or 10 days to process things and, and get things out. So we want to find exactly what it is. Like, what's the reason for the delay and how much time do they really need? But before I, I want a client to accept that, I want, I want some evidence of it. Like, is there a real mortgage commitment? Where are you with the mortgage? Is there a mortgage commitment? Send me a copy of the mortgage commitment. If it's supposed to close you know, today, um, but you can show me a mortgage commitment that says it's going to close a week from now or 10 days from now, then you know, that, that helps us in deciding to, to give you an extension because we can see that there is an end game, that it's real. As opposed to, well, sorry, we don't have a mortgage commitment. That's why we need a month because we you know, we got to go shop around because we got to look for private funds. We got to go to secondary market. Well, now, like, we have no idea if our deal is going to close in a month, right? So you know, that's a whole different scenario. So you want to really dig down and find out what the underlying factors are. And that's where a real estate agent is incredibly valuable to me as a lawyer because a lot of times it's the, the agent that can do some of that digging. And can find out some of those things. You know, is the buyer selling another property? Is that the problem? Is the buyer's money tied up in another country and they can't get it out? You know, you never know exactly what the factors are, but we want to know that there's, we want to be established there's an ability to close. And just because they're asking for a month, I might tell a client, well, we don't want to give them a month. Like that's too long. Let's extend for a week or 10 days and see where they are. So, and we can impose certain conditions on it, make sure the costs are all covered, like you, like you said, and then we maybe gave them 10 days. And now at the end of that 10 days, if they don't have a commitment at that point in time, we can pull the plug, or maybe they've got a real commitment at that point in time that establishes a closing date that still might be another 10 days after that. So at the end of the day, maybe we end up giving them 20 days, but we're going to do it in a couple of different extensions because we don't want to give them a whole month. And we've lost that time because at the end of the month, if they've got nothing, uh, then we've got nothing. So and like a bunch of factors that, along the way, right? Yeah. So we really got to dig down and try and figure out what the reasons are. And at the same time, we want to establish how serious they are. And that's when we're looking like, you know, can they give us a further deposit? You know, how much of a deposit they give us up front? Can they give us a further deposit? Are they prepared to make that a non-refundable deposit? Are they prepared to allow us to give that money to the seller right now? Okay. As opposed to waiting to see if they default 
a month from now because that helps establish how real they are and how confident they are that they're going to have an ability to close right so so we got to poke around at these things and see what their ability is and you know i've done some where we've extended for you know for three and four months even uh to keep a deal alive but we got additional deposits paid to us we got significant deposits that we could release to the seller and we could establish that no this buyer really wants it and what he's telling us is true on some level because he had money tied up in a in, an, in another country and couldn't get it all out and i was still trying to sell properties here market you know fell apart on him so he got stuck but he really wanted this deal and was prepared to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars over his original deposit of a couple hundred thousand dollars to keep the deal alive Right. In that case, I mean, you know, again, it's it's the whole notion of good faith, right? The buyer is acting in good faith. He's taking certain actions that demonstrate good faith that he's still in it. He's willing to put more money in, in, into the table. Yep. Uh, nothing worse than, you know, a buyer saying, well, you know what, give me another month. But you know what, I'm not putting any more money in here and I don't want to pay your carrying costs. And, you know, that doesn't demonstrate good faith and, right. and you know, leaves a lot of questions on the table. Right. Yeah. And I'm always trying to encourage people to, you know, to grant an extension if possible. Okay. Uh, because that's usually better than pulling the plug and, you know, you've already got someone there and, and if, and if they can establish that it's a shorter time from they need it and it's real, then it's always a good decision. I think for a seller to grant an extension, you know, make sure the seller's costs get covered and we, we negotiate all those terms and everything, but that's generally a better decision than, than pulling the plug saying, you know, we're keeping your deposit, we're going to sue you for damages, we're going to put on the market, you know, they get into having to mitigate things like that. So, but just to grant them a month, I'm really leery about ever doing that. I'd rather grant them a shorter time because it also puts keeps the pressure on them. If you tell people, oh, you got another month, sometimes they'll do nothing for three weeks. And yeah. then the last week, they're, they're trying to get their act together. And they, and they say, oh, sorry, you know, we're so close, but we need another week. Right. So I'd rather put the pressure. No, we're going to give you. We're only going to give you a week, or we're going to give you ten days. Let's see where you are at the end of the ten days, because we have the right to pull the plug on you then, or we have the right to negotiate a further extension, and maybe we'll extend for another week, or maybe another ten days. At that point in time, we can keep looking at it. So I'd rather do the shorter extension because you keep want to drill down and see how real they are. What progress did you make in the last week? If you give them too much time, nothing gets done. Yeah, totally agree. And at the if it goes to litigation, um, the seller can also demonstrate that they've acted in good faith every step of the way. They gave them a further extension. Yeah, and, we're trying. We're trying to cooperate. Trying to cooperate. They're trying right. to work with the uh, with the buyer. They're trying to take certain actions to and create certain checkpoints along the way to make sure that the transaction is moving. But you know, every single point, the buyer says no, 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 no. Well, now the seller has a much stronger case as well. Right. And, and you're always analyzing with the advice of the real estate agent, what the market conditions are. Like it's really valuable for me to know as a lawyer, when I'm trying to negotiate these extensions, the agents tell me, oh, the market just dropped. You know, and we had that scenario in one property. We were selling a property for this, I think it was a five and a half million dollars sale. And we're, we're, they're asking for extensions. And, um, and the market really draws it to the agent. Like if we, if we do pull the plug, you know, we got a $250,000 deposit, we can keep that. 
okay, and go back to the market. But what are we going to sell for? And the agent says, yeah, you know, 4.8 to 5. Okay, so really, so, you know, we know we're not going to recover everything. So we sell, let's say we sell for 4.8 and they keep the $250,000 deposit. So they got, you know, just over 5 million, but they had a transaction, you know, can they recover the other half million from the buyer? You know, so you got to analyze that point of view too. You'd be looking at it completely different if the agent said, yeah, we sold it for, you know, for five and a half million, but the market's going up. And if we go back in the market right now, we might get 5.6 or 5.7. So right. you're thinking changes a little bit. Yeah. Okay. The position changes as well. And the position changes completely. Changes as well. Yeah. Your position changes completely. So, um, you know, and then we talked about that one last week or we had a lawyer telling your client, like they need an extension for a day or two with a mortgage commitment. They're, they just, the lenders needed a couple of days and the seller's lawyer said, nope, don't give an extension because, because the agent says you can sell the property for a hundred thousand dollars more. So don't grant them an extension. Like that's just the wrong position to take in those circumstances. Right. So, uh, you know, that's where lawyers and real estate agents have to work together to understand it because you guys have information that I'm not privy to and market conditions change really fast and it changes on a particular property really fast it's not always the global trends that we're talking about it's just you know a house in this market like nobody there isn't you know there's no action there no one's looking it's a tough sale you know yeah. like you know I want to know that from the agent is it's going to be if we put it back in the market is it going to be sitting there potentially for months yeah right yeah Great example of that is also condo markets because each building is kind of like a micro market in and of itself, right? So if there's a condo listing uh, in a building and you're the only comparable and for sale, well, you know, you're going to, the market's going to do something else. But if there's 14 other units, eight of which are identical to you, right, then you're really only competing on price and, and that changes things in the micro level uh, significantly as well. So uh, absolutely right, David. And, and, you know, what the market is doing really dictates, you know, what approach your office takes. And that's why we, we like working with you as closely as we do. And, and our relationship is, is really important. Well, I always appreciate that compliment. It goes, it's a two-way street. It goes both ways. Uh, but the, you know, working with an agent and being comfortable with an agent, you know, from a lawyer's point of view is really important too. Because we've had situations, you know, with these extension requests when things are start to go off the rail and sometimes it's because well let's say it's not financing let's say it's seller hasn't been able to sell their property yet okay so i would like the the you know our, the agent on our side to go in sorry not the seller the buyer is, uh, hasn't sold their their property yet so it would be good for the our agent to go look at what the what they're selling what they're trying to sell and and give me some information are they doing a good job marketing that property. What's the competition like in, in for that type of house in that neighborhood? Right. It's, it's invaluable data that uh, right. you know all the parties need in order to like really assess um, what's what's happening and how you can move forward, right? Because if, yeah. if the house is listed on the market but it's not staged and it's $50,000 overpriced, and maybe one of the conditions of granting an extension is that they do a price reduction and they hire a staging company. Exactly. And, and exactly. that's something that, you know, a lot of people don't understand, but 
you can't ask for and stipulate those things as a condition of the of granting an extension. And, and it, it, it's a wonderful way of solving the issue, which is that they're overpriced, right? Right, right. So it's not, it's not enough for us to be told, oh, we can't close because we haven't sold our property yet. Like, that's not enough information. We got to dig down and look, why haven't they sold that property? Maybe our agents can help them sell that property. Maybe they know someone that would buy that property. Maybe somebody in their brokerage, they can give it some exposure in your own brokerage to say, hey, take a look at this property. Tell you, here's a property that came across. Uh, you know, the, the, the seller's motivated to sell. Get your clients out there, right? You never, you can be helping on that side or looking at how their listing actually is. Are they doing a really lousy job trying to market this property and get top dollar when it's not worth it? And, and if we know that and they're not going to change it, that will make us, you know, less, uh, you know, more reluctant to not grant an extension because we think that, yeah, they're not likely to sell this property if they keep marketing the way they are. So an agent's job is never finished just because you got an agreement of purchase and sales sign. Sometimes you, you know, you're called into duty to, to you know, right till your transaction closes. You never know where you're going to be needed to help, uh, you know, analyze and, and get involved in the situation. So, um, you know, that's important for agents to know. Yeah. And two heads are better than one. And, you know, we always foster a team environment when, when solving solutions. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, if there is a difficult situation, then, then come together and, and, and let's solve the issue together, right? And, and, you know, figuring out these extensions, figuring out what's really happening here, understanding the full story, clear communication, asking the right questions and then working together to find a meaningful solution that works for everybody um, is the right approach. Yep, and getting an, another set of eyes on it. Uh, sometimes, you know, we get so involved in transactions that we're in the middle of and just like we talk about, if it was our own transaction, sometimes you need a third party to look at it and say, because you, you get emotionally involved at some point. So it's always good to get somebody else's viewpoint. And that's why it's important for agents to have someone like you to go to, to have a broker, to go to experienced broker, to consult with you or Sabia or something and get another viewpoint and some guidance on it. And for you to sit down and take a look at it and say, well, you know, you, you may have missed this or have you thought about that or I just saw something else come across that might be a comparable that you really should look at and convince your client but so it's always good to have that team approach and let other people get involved yeah absolutely and it's no different in your office than this is my office right I mean I know if uh, a complex legal issue comes comes up then you know you have multiple lawyers multiple associates look at it Everybody has a different level of experience. Everybody um, can draw on, 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 you know, on that experience as well. And, and sometimes different viewpoints really, you know, help and, and make a big difference. Right. You know, and that's why in our firm, like we have weekly lawyer meetings and we don't have an agenda established in advance. If you, you know, sometimes anybody that has a topic or something you want to raise, but part of it is like, did anybody have anything interesting that happened this week? Right to discuss and you know we got something yesterday so i was dealing with one of the uh, one of our lawyers on it. i said okay let's make sure we bring this up at, at our thursday lawyers meeting because yeah. it's it's a great discussion point you know sometimes we need to consult with each other right we're in the middle of a deal and get another viewpoint anybody's you know dealt with something like this before and it helps 
but if not, sometimes it's just good to you know, just kick it around at, at a weekly meeting and, and just get a different viewpoint. And it's not always, you know, I, I'm the, you know, the senior lawyer, it's not my expertise. It's, it's not always Jonathan's expertise. It's, you know, we learn from our associate lawyers as well, you know, they're in the trenches, they see things, they're looking at stuff and, and we, and we learn that we don't always have the right answers but we know how to try and figure out the right answers. And sometimes the collective wisdom is better than the individual wisdom. Yeah, and even your clerks. I mean, I, I remember um, when we were closing on the commercial transaction and you know, dealing with one of your clerks and, and you know, she came up with, with, with a great solution um, for us as well. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely the whole team environment and right. um, every, everybody's part of that team environment as well, which is great. Right. And, and that's, uh, you know, we've talked about in recent weeks, we talk about leadership and mentoring and stuff like that. And it's the type of atmosphere that we're fostering in our law firm. It's the type of atmosphere you're fostering in, in, in your brokerage where you need that team approach. I think everybody's better served when you're open to ideas and comments and suggestions and, uh, you know, from every level of, of the people, you know, working in your, in your brokerage and in my firm. Everybody yeah. sees things from a bit of a different viewpoint um, and you need everybody's input. And uh, I think it's, that's really important. Absolutely. Well, David, I, I think, you know, we've gone over an hour. <laughs> we always get so emotional and so uh, passionate about uh, the topic of real estate. It's always great to have these conversations, but uh, that I, I think we're going to wrap it up there and, uh, uh, I know next week we're going to be talking about rental items. So that's a really interesting uh, topic as well. And it's an important topic to discuss um, for a lot of reasons. So I'm definitely uh, looking forward to that. All right. It'll be a good discussion as always. And, and there'll be some carryover from this week's that we didn't get to. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little about mitigation and things like that too. Um, but anyways, no shortage of topics. Look forward to, to next week, David. Always great to see you and be with you. Likewise. Stay uh, safe, everybody. Enjoy the beautiful weather outdoors. And uh, join us next week for, uh, for a great topic, as always. Okay, take care.